morning, church. It is so great to see all of you out on this beautiful day. I want you to know that the Oak Hills Church this year turns 53 years old. Isn't that amazing? Some of you have been around a long time. It has been a great journey. Now, you need to understand that this church uh, began 53 years ago as a plant from another church out of very humble circumstances. But today, 53 years later, we're literally a family made up of thousands of people across five campuses and growing. You, know, you need to know that of the 400,000 plus registered churches in America, Oak Hills is one of the top 50 largest churches in our country. But not only that, we are debt free and in our 53 years, we have never experienced a church split. For those of you who are new to your spiritual journey, maybe new to church, you may have no earthly idea how unusual what I just said really is. It is virtually impossible for a church to be 53 years old and still be vibrant. I'm 50 years old myself and I feel like I'm about ready to slow down. But this church is rocking and rolling and to be trusting God for the next season and to do it in unity, to be doing it without splits, be doing it without debt is an amazing thing. And it should be causing you to ask the question, how does something like this happen? Is it an accident? How does something like this happen? Well, you may be new to the Oak Hills Church. Maybe you've been here visiting for a while and you've kind of experienced it. You've seen it. You've rubbed up shoulders with our people outside, but you're not quite sure because no one has just come out and explicitly said it. But I'm going to do it today. Hold on to your hats. The secret of our success lies in this. Prayer is a core value of this church. I'm not even going to charge you more money for that. <laughs> Prayer is a core value of this church. Said more specifically, look at this. We seek God in all decisions through prayer. We seek God in all decisions through prayer. You see, prayer has guided this congregation for 53 years and it will continue to guide it for the next 53 years but listen to this God wants and God can do the very same thing for you in your personal life and in your family life if you want to put yourself in a position to experience the maximum amount of success and the maximum amount of blessing then adopt this value for yourself called prayer. It is so awesome. Let me take a few moments to talk to you and inform you from scriptures how it actually works. You might want to write some notes. Step number one, align your ultimate plan to God's plan. Align the ultimate objective or the ultimate goal of your life, where you want to end up, align it with God's plan. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 21 says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose 
that prevails. Let me say it to you in another way. If you were betting on a horse in the Kentucky Derby, wouldn't it be great to know which horse wins before the race began? Am I right? Wouldn't that be awesome information? Well, the same is true for here. We know that God's plan will win. We know that He will cross the finish line first. We know that His idea will prevail. So, a little secret is, align your life to His plan and you will place yourself as a sure winner. That's all we've done as a church. For these 53 years, we've sought to align the mission of this church to the mission of God. And we've put ourselves in the stream of His success. And so as a church, we have a very distinct mission. We place it on a little wristband, and we say it every time we're gathered together. If you have it, hold it up high and say it with me. We are the body of Christ, called to be Jesus in every neighborhood in San Antonio and beyond. That's straight out of Scripture. So we know that we have placed ourselves in our very lives in the stream of God's will as a church. But you should do the same thing in your personal life. This week I was uh, driving in the outer west area on my way to south San Antonio. It's that place where 1604 ceases to be a, a freeway and becomes sort of an access road. And I was on the access road at the stoplight with lots of cars and all of a sudden um, a, a car begins, a truck begins to honk its horn at me. And I need to let you know that in my experience as a driver, when anybody honks a horn at me, it very seldom is good news. I have either done something to offend them, or my tire is low in my car. Something's not good. But when the truck finally pulled up to me, the guy rolled down the window, held out his arm with this bracelet, and he said, Bless you, man! Bless you! <laughs> I thought to myself, that is the coolest thing in the world. See, what this guy has done is he's not only embraced this mission of the congregation, but he's embraced it for his own personal life. To be like Jesus is his objective. To be like Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter how much money you make at the end, it matters who you have become. It does not matter how far you've climbed the ladder of success in the end, if that's your goal, but rather who you have become. It doesn't matter how much education you have amassed at the end of the day, as much as it matters who you become. You see, if your first priority is to become like Jesus for the sake of others, and then you align all your other business goals and your financial goals and your educational goals to that number one priority that says, who I am becoming is more important than anything else, then what you have done is you've aligned your plan to God's plan and you've placed yourself in a position of ultimate success because His plan will prevail. One of the biggest mistakes that I see American Christians making, it may be the vast majority of American Christians, and we want to set the record straight right now, is that they set their plan for their, where they want to go. They set their goals, and then they invite God to bless it. You understand what I'm saying? You decide what you want to do, and then you pray to God to bless your plan. Folks, it doesn't work that way that's why you're frustrated in prayer because you are praying for something that is not within the will of God God is not your genie in the bottle 
He is not your waitress asking you if you would like French fries with your hamburger, if that would make you happier. God is the sovereign God of the universe who has given up everything for us to have a relationship with Him, and He expects for us to align our lives to His plan. And all the church said, you get that right and you are halfway there. But there's a second step. Step number two, let God direct each step of the plan through prayer. Not only set the end objective, but each step along the way, consult God for direction through prayer. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9 says this, We make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. To experience the full blessing of God, this scripture tells us, each day of our life, you not only need to align your life plans to His, but you need to consult Him each step of the way. The title of this series is Living Values. The subtitle is just as important, How You Get There Matters. You see, there's almost always multiple paths to the to a destination, is there? Think of a restaurant that you like to go to and ask, how many different ways can you get there? There's multiple paths to a destination. It's important for us as followers of Christ to choose the path to the end destination that best fits the steps and plans of God. For example, if you have accepted Christ's offer of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ, you will get to heaven based upon His promise. However, the journey to that destination is a road that can either be paved with unnecessary hardship or it could be a road paved with blessing. The choice is yours. So the Bible strongly encourages us to seek God along the way. For years I had in my uh, study a caption of a man grasping his hands in prayer and bent over his desk praying this prayer. Lord, help me to meet this self-imposed and totally unnecessary challenge. You ever feel like that in a given day? God does not want us to face each day with things that are unnecessary, but things that are a part of his plan. So the question is, how does one go about praying for direction? How do you go about praying for direction? This is the right question. And if you brought your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to the Old Testament book of Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6 in the Old Testament. As you're turning there, let me give you a little of the backstory. The story is of a man named Gideon. He's of Israel. And Israel has been under the oppression or the bullying of the pagan nation called the Midianites for seven years. And in this chapter, God comes to Gideon, he taps him on the shoulder, and invites him, calls him to lead Israel out of the oppression. It is time according to God's plan. Now, to lead out of oppression, meaning, it means that he's going to be Israel's next judge. That is why it's called the book of Judges. But a judge is very different than the judge of our day. A judge was a deliverer, and therefore a warrior, a strong warrior. This is the next step, the next chapter in Gideon's life, and it's a big one. But not only that, it makes absolutely no sense to Gideon that God has selected him to be this warrior. Look at verse 15 of chapter 6. I love the way my translation reads. 
Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. This urging from the Lord didn't match what Gideon believed to be common sense, and often the call of God in our life doesn't. But in the next verse, God simply tells him, I will be with you. Ha, that's key. You see, Moses said, God, if you won't go with us, don't send us out there. But if God says, I will be with you, it doesn't matter how the odds are stacked against you, go. Then Gideon says back to God in verse 17. I love this. If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. How many of you have had that same prayer before? Lord, I just need to know as I deal with this issue I'm dealing with, as I'm reading your word, as I'm praying, I just really need to know, is this really you talking to me? Now, some of you don't know much about the life of a minister, and you might assume that we have sort of a special dispensation, a special direct access to God, and that's completely true. <laughs> Not really. The fact is, I've been walking with Jesus now for 37 years, and I have never heard an audible voice. It really, 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 really would make it easier if, if, if he just came out and said it. But he doesn't. So I often wonder as I take my day before the Lord, is that really you nudging me, Lord? How can I know it is you? So here's what Gideon did to get confirmation. I want you to skip down to verse 36. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised... Look, I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out, and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Now here's a modern day fleece. And what he did to the Lord for confirmation is he stuck it outside his front door and he said, Lord, if this is really you talking to me, when I wake up in the morning, I'd like for all the ground to be completely dry, but for the fleece to be filled with dew. When he woke up in the morning, he squeezed the fleece and out ran a bowl full of water. Now that would be enough for me, but not for Gideon. He is from the weakest family. Look at verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. Just the opposite. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. You get it? When he woke up the next morning, the ground was saturated in dew, but when he touched the fleece, when he squeezed the fleece, it was completely dry. So Gideon moved forward in confidence that this was God's next step for him. And through a stunning story of God's involvement, they won the war in one night against the mighty Midianites. Let me explain to you how I believe the fleece principle works today. 
Today, when you lay out a fleece before the Lord, you don't really need a real fleece. You are looking, when you lay a fleece before the Lord, for confirmation that what is coming to you is truly Him speaking to you. So I would say this, what is a fleece? A fleece is a principle that will guide your decision. You're looking for a principle, often a reiteration of a principle in His Scripture that will guide your prayer request on whether or not you need to move forward or whether or not you need to hold back. Now let me explain how this principle, this prayer principle has guided the church at Oak Hills. Several years ago, before I got here, the elders of the church felt like the next step in God's plan for this church to reach this city and beyond was to build a large new worship center. This place seats between 16 and 1700 seats and it was the belief that a 4500 seat auditorium would be the next step in following God's plan to reach this city. And so the elders were looking for the fleece principle, and this is what they came up with to guide them on whether or not to move forward or to, or to not, or not move forward. Here's the principle. If we raise $20 million, we will move forward. And that became a principle that they used to determine God's will. Now you need to understand that the Oak Hills Church in its history has always met or exceeded every single financial goal, so this was a slam dunk. This would be like saying, we will do this or that on the basis of whether or not David Robinson can dunk a basketball. Done. So it looked like we were definitely moving forward. No one had any thought that it would come out differently, but when all the cash and all the pledges came in, we only raised $15 million close enough, right? The elders went back to prayer, consulted with the congregation, and determined that it was not time to move forward. It was not time to move forward. And it was a devastating moment for many folks in this congregation, maybe one of the first times that they could remember that this happened. Matter of fact, I remember talking to Max, and he personally shared with me how he struggled with the outcome of this. He didn't understand it, but he trusted the process and the principle. You see, in this particular case, the fleece was dry when it needed to be wet. So the elders went back to the congregation and asked them if they would honor their pledge for one year versus three years, and that enabled the church to get out of debt. Sounds like the Lord was punishing the Oak Hills Church, right? Sounds like the Lord was turning the spigot of blessing off of this church. Finally time to use another church to bring about His will. He's done with us, right? No. Think of just this week, the financial condition of our nation. Pretty scary stuff, isn't it? It is my belief that it's all making sense now. Being a debt-free congregation puts us in the position as a congregation to really minister to people more than a bigger room would have with lots of debt. Didn't make sense at first any more than the decision made sense to Gideon that God would use him as a mighty warrior, but at the end, it makes complete sense. And this is just one example of how the value of prayer has guided the Oak Hills Church and will continue to guide it 
And listen to me again, this same fleece principle that works for a congregation will work in your personal and family life if you but engage it. Let me give you a personal example from our family that collides with the one I just told you. When Max and the elders approached us about leaving Chicago, which is where we were at before we came here, and come to be a part of the Oak Hills family, I need to let you know, truthfully, we really, really, did I say really? Really wanted to come back to Texas. And who could blame us? But we did not believe it was God's will. And through trial and error, we have learned to never move out on what we want unless we're pretty sure it's first what God wants. We didn't want to make this decision and then turn around and ask God to bless it. We wanted to know before we even moved that it's what He wanted. And in our mind and in our heart, we did not believe that even though we wanted it, that it's something that God said the timing was right. Then when I, when I heard the decision that you made not to build the new worship center, I not only wanted to come to Texas, but now I really, really, did I say really? Really wanted to come to Oak Hills because I have seen in my ministry how devastating large buildings and debts are to churches in their call for their people to go out into the community and be Jesus. When Roseanne and I prayed about it, we concurred on two fleece principles for our lives to govern whether or not God was saying go or stay, believing in our mind that he was saying stay. There were two things that needed to fall in place. First, we couldn't come for at least a year because of our son, Stephen. We believed that he needed to finish his senior year in Chicago because we had just moved him his sophomore year and we felt like this was too much change. And it was our fundamental belief that a pastor must first pastor his own family. And that we did not believe that God was inviting me to disc my family for what we wanted. And so I came to Max and I said, Max, we really want to come, but we really don't believe it will be possible. Here's the first thing that we think is standing in the way. And we got to hold true to this, so I'm sorry. And Max looked me in the face and said, we can wait a year. <laughs> the fleece was wet. We didn't see it coming. The second principle that was going to guide our decision was even a bigger one. We had not finished our work in Chicago. We had only been there three years. We always intended to come back to Texas, but we needed more time. We needed about four more years. For us to leave, the leadership of the church had to give us their blessing in Chicago. And I didn't see this happening. I did not see this happening. You have to understand that the man that I worked for in Chicago is a man named Bill Hybels. He is a hard-charging, type AAA guy, no-nonsense dude that would not take too kindly to my decision. We were not done, and he knew that, and leaving would jeopardize the spiritual work that had begun in Chicago, and he cares about his congregation, rightfully so. So I came to Max, and I said, Max, uh, I don't think that this is going to work because I don't see getting a genuine blessing from the church leadership to release us to come to Texas. Well, we had several chats together. Bill and I did, and they did not go very well, as expected. 
and so we believed we were staying in Chicago. But one night, when I was teaching in this massive auditorium of 7,200 seats, Bill sat in front of Roseanne, and while I was teaching, he handwrote this note to her. I want you to know that I am over the disappointment of not being able to work with you guys in the future. I believe that you have listened to God, heard his voice, and obeyed. I am supportive of your new adventure and will bless you guys privately and publicly as we move ahead. He said it. I will bless you privately and publicly. And so, here we are. And we believe that we are in the full blessing of God and it has been an unbelievable ride these last three years. I want the same very thing for you in your life. For the value of prayer to guide your steps so you can experience the full blessing of God. The question is, do you want that for yourself? I'd like to today give you an opportunity to begin stretching your prayer muscles and to actually practice it. I hope you'll join me in this little journey today. When you came in, you received a program. I'd encourage you to take it out. There's just simply some blank space on it called notes. Maybe you'd like to use just a piece of paper that you brought, a napkin, or even a section in your Bible. Step one of this journey begins by simply identifying what is the next big thing you are facing right now. Ask yourself, most of you know what it is. What's the next big thing? It could have to do with a job. It could have to do with going back to school. It could have to do with getting out of a relationship. It could have to do with getting into a relationship. It could have to do with your finances. It could be just so many other things. What is it for you? What's the next big thing standing in front of you right now?